Bradford sets off upfield. He wants a speedster to run onto it. He might be the quickest. Oh, he kicks. He kicks ahead. And now Corey Oates will come. Oh, Oates with the one-handed pickup. How about that? Asako in behind them. He's confused. He didn't know whether to kick or whether to run. He takes the ladder option. Jermaine Asako will score. fans and welcome to whatever episode of Broncos Weekly it is now, considering our hiatus. But anyway, I am Mitch and I'm joined on the line by our good friend Simo. How are you doing, Simo? A uh, bit tired, but not too bad. How about yourself? <laughs> yeah, mate, I'm okay. I've, I've done my back in, which is killing me. I have an international flight on Friday. So I'm doing the whole, like, you know how before Origin and someone's in doubt, they're just do, they're finding any healer or therapist they can find to get to get in shape? That's exactly what I'm doing. Have you gone to, like, Eastern Medicine yet? Well, mate, 100% I'll be all over Eastern Medicine when I go to China Friday, so... Uh, <laughs> and the, the thing is, you know, when I go away on a holiday with, with the missus, like, there's only one plan, and it involves using my back. <laughs> like, it's just devastating. Um, well, I'm guessing we've told people now that there probably won't be an episode next week, so, you know... Yeah, right. We are as consistent as the team, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if people would have missed it, but we've missed the last two episodes because Simo's been working night shifts, so he's been a night owl, and we've been on the exact opposite shift, and we just decided not to tweet it, because we'll put it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, so, well, whatever, like, people know what to expect, sometimes we record, sometimes we don't, so yeah, we that, don't, that's but, the go. But that's it, so um, yeah, Simo's just got back off the night shift, he's back to the regular hours, but I won't be here next week. There is a chance, maybe... Maybe I'll take my my headset with me. Maybe we could do a Broncos podcast next week because the missus will, won't be around with me all hours of, of every day. So maybe we'll talk yeah, about we'll that. see what happens. <laughs> it depends how the result goes this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it feels like we sometimes we podcast and we go through about five weeks and there's not a single Broncos headline. And now we've missed two and a half weeks of this um, and there's Broncos, been like 15 headlines. Sorry, Broncos have a buy next week anyway. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Uh, but yeah, we, yeah. we go into this and missed all the news ever. Everything's happened. So oh, we'll, we'll, 83 things have happened. Yeah, we'll cover that first, and then we'll go into the Roosters game, which is obviously a fantastic game. We'll go, so we'll do the news, Roosters game, probably maybe some fan thoughts on that one, maybe. And then we'll do the review, and then obviously what people actually came here for, which is Game of Thrones Weekly, which is the last one potentially ever, although we might have to rant a lot again, that it might come back That's up. definitely <laughs> happening. But yeah, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there anyway. We'll start with the news. And the first this big dot point for the season is Jack Bird, who was probably our best player for the first, what was it, eight and a half games? One of our best players at least. He's has done his ACL and has finished with is it eight games played again in two seasons with us. So ACL done... Out for the year. What do you say? Yeah, mate. There's not much you can say. Like it sucks for him. 
Yeah, sorry, nine games this year. It sucks. I mean, he had some issues with his hands this year and bombed a few tries, but he'd been a guy put in every single week and, you know, actually looked in great shape and, was pop- and like, he was a lock to play Origin. He would have had Roberts' as right centre <laughs> and, he, and he's got injured now and it is, you know, if, on paper, if you ask me, is there one position we could afford to lose a player in? That was it. That or edge second row, like edge back rower. But it still hurts. Yeah, I just... Like, the fact that the rest of the team, like, no one's really just doing the try-hard role, like, which obviously Mm -hmm. is normally reserved for people that aren't very good. Like, you know, they're the people that try hard. But he was, you know, putting in effort and trying really hard. And, you know, you need some of those in your team. So the rest of the players get motivated and that. And, you know, why couldn't it happen to, like... Shibasaki or someone. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's, it's one of those things as well. It just seems to be, I'm not going to act like a privileged fan, but it's just been every year for the last few years now we've missed one of our key players or one of our at least most expensive players in terms of salary for over half the season. I mean, we know we lost Bird himself last year and Gillett last year. And, I mean, last year we had a horror run with injuries anyway, but you go back further and there was in, in issues and we couldn't get the same spine on the field at all for 2017. And even 2015 we made the grand final. We had just McGuire out for the significant end of the season. It just feels like we haven't got that that luck in terms of key players that, that's required for teams to go to distance. And obviously I don't think this team can go to distance this year, but it's still just it's just like, can we have one year where the key players all stay on the field? <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, eh? It would be. But um, it's unfortunate. The fortunate thing is that obviously we have Katoni Staggs, who's, who's already taken one centre position. Then we have this other representative quality player, James Roberts, who obviously we're not picking. <laughs> obviously isn't worth a run. And then we have the Japanese pearl diver, who uh, Gamet Shibasaki. Yeah, That's I'm it. still not convinced on him. Like I know he did good, the, did well the other day, but I'm not convinced uh, yet either. We've seen we've seen young players have a great game straight up, and then everyone's in love with them, and then it doesn't matter what they do for the next 23 games. Like Tom Opechek's still a defensive master center. Oh yeah, the amount of arguments man you had over Opechek until the like first game for the Cowboys and everyone was like, "Oh, yeah, he's trash." <laughs> yeah, and I'm with uh, you on that with with Shibasaki. There's there hasn't really been any signs for me of of a quality first grader there. I know through the systems and on the way up he had good potential, but so far what he's put out in first grade hasn't really impressed me. Yeah. And I, I know it's only been four games, and he's only, you know, last he played one of them off the bench when he bombed that try against the Roosters. But I don't think he was as amazing against the Roosters this week as people that seemed to act like he was anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously it was Dearden played a big part in this as well, but Latrell Mitchell did nothing like all night, which obviously also Latrell Mitchell contributed to that because that's what he loves to do against the Broncos is nothing. Yeah. That was at one fan once. <laughs> um. <laughs> But, I mean, you know, if you put him out there against Latrell Mitchell and he does nothing, like, whether that's because of Latrell or because of Shibasaki, you know, you're pretty happy with that effort for the night. Yeah, but that's it. I'm not I'm not exactly stoked with it. And we may as well touch on that, too. Like, you'd have, you know, like, I don't know, you'd have to have your eyes painted on to not clearly understand that James, James Roberts is most likely on his way out of the club. And that's um, that's a bit tough. It's a tough pill to swallow for myself. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan, eh? So, you just... You just wonder what has to have happened. I know, I know. I mean, we obviously we saw the, the drunken incident, but he played after that. <laughs> like, he played, they played him crocked. It was like, 
voicing to find a way to spite the off-field to get the on-field result from James Roberts, at the Broncos anyway. But now it just doesn't feel like that's that's all we've come together. I've no idea what's going on. Obviously, him and Seabold aren't getting along. That's That one's quite clear. But, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. I mean, if we if he ends up getting punted, his realm of possibilities in another club is, like, he has the biggest spectrum of outcomes. Like, you know, there's no guarantee he goes elsewhere and his career's back on track because of his track record. But, mate, just seeing what we can get out of him at our club, it's just devastating he's not there. And it's just... it just Like, especially when your attack's struggling, you're struggling to score points like we are, having someone like him, as we know, who can create points out of nothing is just... You know, it's killing me he's not in the first-grade team. Yeah, I... Like we saw, we talked about it earlier this year when he he took the, that kick and ran the field, and people say it's luck, but like you know, that's obviously that's what his skill set is. Yeah, it is, and I just won't. I refuse to buy all the bullshit. I'll be sold if he gets dumped by the Broncos. I'll be sold all this crap about all these issues that are all of a sudden new with James Roberts. I refuse to buy that they haven't been like we haven't worked through those in the past. So they've been worth it if you get me. I just won't be convinced. <laughs> so. That'd, that'd be interesting. I mean, I've said it before, but a good coach understands that not every player is the same at training. And, and if you get results on the weekend and, and if the team still gets behind that player, it doesn't really matter. So, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You hear, you hear stories all the time, like different players do different training. Like, Brett Stewart used to go for a swim two times a week and that was his training session because his knees were cooked. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, you can't do a full week of training with knees like that. And so, you know, he did. he just went for a swim. Like... You can't, yeah, whatever, hunting. Yeah, no, it's it. it is what gonna, it is. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll wrap it on about heaps, obviously, goes on. But yeah, and, uh, you know, that happens often. Like, you'll see when Dean Young won a premiership with Wayne Bennett, he didn't actually train at all. At all. He yeah, just he played just weekends. Talk about weekend warrior. And uh, yeah, and I know, and I know, obviously, not training because of injury is different, but it's like you're just wrong to expect that all 30 players in your team are going to be the same standard of trainer because we all know, we've all been there, we've all played sport at some level. We've all known that a lot of the times the, the actual best players didn't train the hardest. They didn't actually have to. That's just how it works. Like, I've played footy down here, and the coach is like, right, I now we're going to, like, everyone run 10 laps of the oval or the AFL field. Yeah. And one bloke's like, oh, mate, my hemi. And, like, he goes and sits down. And then, oh, yeah, he's the best player on the weekend. Like, they're good, yeah. you know. And nobody cares because they show up on the weekend and they kick goals, so... Yeah, and there's reasons why you hear about, you know, Cooper Cronk, greatest trainer ever, greatest teammate ever, but also, again, almost, like, least talented player to be as good as he's been. Like, that's the difference. It's very... That's why you hear about these guys who are really good who do train really hard because it's such a such an outlier. <laughs> doesn't happen. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on to the next bit of news. Uh, so this one, old, is out for some weeks. Andrew McCulloch's out for some time. Whatever it is, four weeks from now, or maybe less or more, he's out. And I feel like he'll be pushing to get it come back in the first grade because on top of that, we have signed James Sicchiaro and Jake Turbin's got his chance. And he must be sitting in that coach's box in Seabold's ear, whispering all <laughs> kinds of bullshit. Like, <laughs> just trying to save you his see, job. Mate, you see that terrible pass from Turbin. It went out in front of Milford. That is just not on. <laughs> Makes no sense, sir. See, I don't get it. Maybe... Mate, Maybe I've just figured it out. Yeah. Maybe Andrew McCulloch is a three-eyed raven, and he's just seeing Milford in the past, <laughs> and so he's passing it where he was like three seconds ago. He's seen James Segiaro actually score from dummy half, and he's gone. That's all wrong, Sebs. It's all wrong. I, You're supposed to get held up and reset from the ten. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that's the play that. Um, McCulloch thinks is the perfect field goal setup. Like get over the line, get held up, and you can take <laughs> yeah. it back out. Ten. 
Yeah, he's just sitting there shaking his head at what Seguiaro is doing. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh... Just ridiculous. Just absolute trash. But yeah, um, obviously that that's happened. And um, I mean, you don't want to wish injury on anybody, but when it happened, I think every Broncos fan was like, that's uh, that's pretty good. Pretty, pretty <laughs> good. Because it's like, it's not only season isn't over, but you got like enough window to see, hey, Turpin will get a shot here. We'll see there. And then we signed the king of Port Moresby. The new king of Port Moresby, James Sigiaro. <laughs> How good is this? Uh, oh, man. Like, you see that meme where he's, like, holding the coffee cup with the L on it, and it's like, one order for the roosters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So good. James Seguiaro, what a man. I always loved him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, that's one of the things with, um, like, with, with Seguiaro. He's one of those players that I think every Broncos fan at some point over the last five years has gone, like, why haven't we... Why haven't we signed that guy? You know, like, I think, because, like, he's always always out of a club for some reason. And no one knows the real reason. Well, people do in the game, obviously, but I don't know it. I never understand why Ciara can't find a contract, because he always seems to perform when he's on the field. But every, like, two years, he's on, he's waiting for a club. And every time, Broncos fans galore are always like, well, that guy's, you know, from Queensland. Why don't we sign that guy? Yeah, I always just kind of got the impression it was because most clubs seem to want an 80-minute hooker. Mm-hmm. And he seems like not the person that can do that. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, if you're only using, if you use one interchange on your hooker, that's not bad. You know, it's fine. And it's and it's one of those things. I mean, it, ca- it came out he's a Broncos fan, and obviously he's like the rest of Papua New Guinea. And hello to our yeah. three people who listen to there. <laughs> but like, he's a Broncos fan, and um, I can tell you what, this probably is the best two weeks of his life. It just has to be. Oh, it. It'd be right up there. I mean, like, if you're a Broncos fan, you sign for the club, you know, already that's that's a huge thing. But then, score the match-winning try. Mm-hmm. Oh, then, yeah. oh, mate, you saw it, what it meant to him. Yeah, I mean, what what a time. Yeah, and then the other things came out. It was just pretty good from the club, by the way. Like, his family live in Australia. They're in, in North Queensland. But the club flew down. His family, his parents on the day didn't tell him and had and presented him with his, his game jersey. So he brought his family, and that's pretty nice from them. And Seguiaro said after the game, like, that's when he felt like he's actually at a, a, a real club. It really meant something to him, that happening, which is, that was good. But, yeah, you can just see what it means when it's a Broncos fan. And it's always nicer to hear someone was a Broncos fan growing up, too. Like, you heard he had Carmichael Hunt posters on the wall. Like, is this guy out for our heart? <laughs> <laughs> and he's only, like, two oh, years I... younger than Hunt, too, which is great. <laughs> Man, I still have Carmichael Hunt posters on the wall, but that's all right. I think that's the problem. You would ask Cigaro where they went. <laughs> um, I mean, at least this one's worked out better than the last massive Broncos fan we signed that liked a, you know, a playmaker that we all loved. So yeah, who you referring Andrew to? Savelio. Andrew Savelio. <laughs> Andre Evan. <laughs> Andre Savelio. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. But um, but yeah, Sigiaro, We obviously I did that terrible vote. Wrote it, did an election vote for him as well, and like all of his family are tagging him in it. <laughs> he's good. So he's, he'll be loving this week, mate. Broncos fans are always liking every post on Twitter that's adding him about the Broncos. They're living the yeah, dream. No. Good on your sex. Yeah. There's some cheap likes out there from Seguiaro if you just say something nice to him. He's like, yeah, how good's life? Yeah, bang, good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's it. He's only signed for this year, but there's a real real opportunity here, and we'll talk about it later, no doubt, but to just see what him and Turpin can do, and we'll get into that in the game review. Anyway, last bit of news before you hit the, the game review is, I think this one we kind of already heard about a couple of times, but Joel Fangarway's officially re-signed on a three-year deal, and it's one of those ones that I've seen some fans unhappy with it, 
but I'm actually I'm, I'm pretty stoked to have him sign for another three years. He's there's not many better you know fourth or fifth forwards, middle forwards going around in the competition. Um, yeah, it seems like he's signed this contract like every second month for the last two and a half years. Um, yeah. the, the, the three year contract extension, but I mean we've talked about this in group chat and that, but like. The, the player who is for us, like ideally for us, coming off the bench, you, you know, your fourth or fifth best prop or middle, fourth or fifth best middle, you know, he's maybe the best in the comp at that, you know, mm-hmm. your fourth down. So keep him around. He's, he has a, does a great job off the bench. You know, you're happy enough with that. Yeah, we've seen the, the, the improvement in his game since he's gone back to the bench again. I mean, he had a 150 metres against the Sharks, 200 metres against Sea Eagles, 117 metres last week. Like, that was the boom back into what he was on the bench. And I know numbers aren't everything, but this guy, you know, he's had three years straight now. He's averaged over 100 metres each season. And, and that's, you know, something Reagan Campbell-Giller, for example, has never achieved. And he's played for Australia, and he is, you know, he hasn't even got 100 metres one game this year. He's played for Australia, and I know he's just been dropped, but has a huge reputation. And that's your fourth or fifth middle coming off the bench doing that. You're looking pretty good. So what you're saying is Joe O should like get a crappy moustache and do a funny bit on the Matty John show. Yes, 100%. That's what he should do. <laughs> get him a kangaroo's jersey. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's likely to, to play Origin this year and he probably isn't playing good enough to be an Origin player right now, but that's just the way it is in terms of what's left there. He's better than a lot of the other guys who are going to play, so I'm just happy that, he, that he's locked up. And also, you know, considering last year he went with the... Um, the battle with cancer with his, with his with his partner last year, and he still um played every game pretty much last year, and it's backed up this year. You got to have a bit of respect for a guy who puts in like that, obviously off the field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably you know, I think people have concerns about his toughness on the field, and I understand that concern that he doesn't play as hard or physical as some of our other guys, but it's okay once those other guys are doing that, <laughs> you know, as a unit. Yeah, no, I. I don't mind him. Like, yeah, he's not my favourite player out there, but not everyone can be your favourite player. He does yeah, a decent exactly job, right. does what does what we need him to. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's one of those guys, if we let him go, he'd go to another club and average 150 metres a game and people would be like, what have we done? Have we let him go? It's just perfect re-signing for me. Yeah. I'm happy to be in as well. Anyway, let's move on to the game review from last week. So, feels like so long ago now, but anyway, kind of is. On uh, Friday night at Suncorp Stadium, the Brisbane Broncos 15 defeated, defeated Sydney Roosters 10. Uh, tries to Payne Haas and James Sigiaro on debut. Uh, conversions, two from two from Masako, one one penalty goal, and a meaning, meaningful field goal from Anthony Milford. Meanwhile, other side of the field, Tedesco, one try, one conversion for the Trell and two penalty goals for the Trell. In, obviously, the best performance of the season from the boys. Yeah, it was a great, great job by all of them. Really, like I was not expecting this at all. <laughs> like, um, but yeah, like just absolutely stood up, played really hard, played the whole game like that, which is mm. big. Like, didn't really drop off at all. Um, you know, you can't ask for much more. And like, this is we we talked about how annoyed we were when we lost to Roosters the first time around, and it was like, oh, you know, they're the premiers, they're the best team, and it's like this is why it's annoying because. Look what we can do here. Like, you know, they are the premiers, but we're still not really much worse than them on our day. No, we're not. And I think this is... It was really good to see the effort from the boys in this game. And that was really annoying about the early in the season because we know the effort can be there. We know we can take it to the Roosters. 
and there was something not there early in the season. But this game, as you said, we took it to them physically, and we did shoot out of the blocks at the start. But God, it felt like honestly, we got out of the blocks, and then after like five or six minutes, we bombed that try with the you know dubious forward pass call for um, Corey Oates. So two Corey Oates and Darius Boyd in that bloody sweet play gave a penalty away. Then the Roosters scored piss weak from down the blind side on last tackle. I just thought, here we bloody go again. Here we go again. <laughs> but but they bounced back. I mean, yeah, conceding that that was just. A soft when you yeah we concede one like that and it's, at the start of the game you're just like oh we're going to concede thirty here yeah so we worked um, so hard bomb to try and they conceded straight we conceded straight away here we go it's going to be one of those games again I, the one thing I never get with forward passes is like to me it just seems easy if the person who is going to receive the ball is behind the person who throws the ball like obviously they've thrown it backwards and it's drifted forward like that just seems to that's physics, you know. Yeah. I don't get how. Yeah, whatever. We're not here to argue forward passes. Yeah. Like, um, it's one of those things. It's it's quite interesting. Um, I actually thought it was forward at first look. I was like, oh yeah, good call. Then on replay, you're right. I was like, oh wow, that was okay. But as you said, didn't change the game. Whatever. I was just glad to see that we bombed the the sweep play like two or three times in the first twenty minutes with the boy going left, and I was glad to see the boys actually put it away. After that, we didn't just go back to running it a hundred times, and we didn't bring back that nice, brilliant Corey Oates play. But what was really nice about this game, it was kind of like getting back to basics. The boys just did park footy in terms of they just completed their sets, played tough, played physical, worked their way down the field, and then found a way to score points. None, they didn't really set anything up to score points. They did. It was just an effort game. It was actually good to see one of those. This is the kind of game you want to see in the first couple of rounds of the year, not in round 10, because you want to buy round 10 have some signs of your attack. But at least it was good to see the effort there and finally looks like we might be laying a platform that we can build upon of. Yeah, it's like we've talked about other teams winning games off just effort, you know, and we've said, you know, how it's frustrating that our team can't do that. You know, just if, if the game's not going your way, things aren't working, other teams manage to just be able to win by just putting, like, trying hard. Um, so yeah, it is nice to see that we can actually do that, and hopefully it's you know there in future if you have a game that things aren't going your way and you can just you know everybody digs in, everybody has a proper crack, and you can get a win that way as well. Yeah, and yeah, this game I think the the biggest things that have changed, and it's quite funny. These are the things for every fan of the fan base has been calling for for the last few weeks. You know, obviously the forwards have played well all year. Man, you have had this argument many times. The forwards have played well all week, all year, and. Lodge, Haas and Pango really laid the platform in this game. But boy, the difference we had coming out of hooker and then did and just not being below average. That was it. <laughs> that was it to make us a good team. Yeah, I mean like Dearden's not done anything that's he's not setting the world on fire. He's not. But he can defend, which is, you know, a massive plus over what we had. He's just yeah, he's helping out he's doing a little bit he's not being a negative to the side which is a positive yep 100% and then out of hooker like Turpin's service is being exceptional I mean how how often like Anthony Milford's almost like ice falling out of his head the ball's in front of me again I can get the ball running forward well, <laughs> okay like we said this earlier in the year is that our problems were we're starting every set worse than every team in the comp with Boyd and every play slower than every team in the comp with Macca and so 
now like every single play we're starting better like you Milford's got way much more time and space because he's not catching the ball behind him and turning around to have someone about to smack him like he looks way more dangerous than he did three weeks ago he's he looks like a really good player again which you know what a shock that that's happened mm. Oh, just the only thing he needs to fix up is that haircut. That's a disaster. <laughs> You're not a fan. <laughs> oh, mate, that looks like his mum like did that with a bowl and some clippers to save him like seventeen dollars fifty yeah, back in the that, eight, like, like two thousand two. You got to save money for the pokies, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, he better be like winning on the pokies because that haircut is atrocious. Yeah, but yeah, as you said, he looks like he's got the ball on the string again, doesn't he? Just um, has more. All of a sudden, has time and space. He's, you know, in control when we're attacking the line and doing the smart football, which is we don't have to score for every play. You can dribble the ball in behind if it's not there. And then, yes, you said Dearden he hasn't done anything exceptional in his three games. But we don't really need him to as this game show. What we needed from a halfback is a guy who, he's not really steering the team, but he, he passes a bit better than than, Milford, uh, sorry, than Cody does. He has often switched the ball back to Milford, which is nice. But he does his job in terms of in defence. You can see the massive difference that right edge has already with him there, that they don't jam in to cover him. But he stood up to Latrell Mitchell and took him down a couple of times one-on-one and just hit him hit him and stuck with him a couple of times as well when they sent him his way. And also, Ross's kicking game isn't exceptional. It's not like a child kicking a ball when, when Nick Ramey was kicking for us. It's just the smallest little improvements that have made a world of difference for him. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. And he's only played three games, so we'll see how he continues to improve. But hmm. I'm happy with it at the moment. Like, just... Those two swaps just make a huge difference to our spine. Yeah. Like, I don't even think it was close. The one we had at the start of the year is the worst in the comp, maybe apart from Penrith. Um, you know, a couple of swaps, and you, even with Boyd there, you, you're right up towards the better end, I think, really. As long as, yeah, as long as you don't get Boyd involved in the attack at all, it's okay. As long as he catches all the bombs... There's yeah, going to be some terrible tackles occasionally, but he's catching all the ball. As long as we don't just throw the ball to him and attack and hope he does something, because it doesn't work, I'm okay with it. I can live with it. I still would obviously like another fullback, but my hope's there. I think I think we've all got to give up hope on that. I don't think it's happening without injury. Yeah, I get the impression, like, I have i don't know, I haven't talked to anybody, but just by watching it and that, like, at the start of the year, it was like Boyd was just calling everything. What he wanted was happening, whereas mm-hmm. now there's a few other players that have an idea and they're like... No, nah, we're not doing that anymore, mate. Like that, that play's done. We'll, we'll try yeah. some different stuff. Well, there's a lot more yeah. direction coming out of dummy half, mate. Like you know, McCulloch looks around the whole field and looks at the then whatever, and then does whatever he feels like. Turpin's just playing the bloody game. Yeah, it's not hard, mate. One of your halves will call for the ball or pass yeah. it to him if you're down their end, or you'll have a forward about to do a hit up, pass it to them. Like yeah, not having your brain like tick over. Seabold has got me to playing this complicated role of like having this call set plays and I'm confused as fuck. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but I think the, the more embarrassing thing in terms of your Andrew McCulloch is that Turpin also has brought better, more in defence. Like, you know, McCulloch's kind of made his bread and butter. He, his whole career's been about his defence first and Turpin's come in this, this team and he's also whacking blokes. He whacked Ryan Hall, who's the fattest winger ever. I think McCulloch's just had like one too many injuries to be doing that now. He has, and that's just it. Like you know, me and you were, didn't didn't dislike him a few years ago. We were fans, and he played some good footy, but just he was clearly off the pace this season. 
and the, the immediate difference has been he's been gone and you know Turpin plays with energy both sides of the ball and he mentioned he had an interview last week from Drow Yao Yi and they cut his hair too by the way <laughs> Yao Yi made a joke about his terrible hair now they've cut that with a bowl it looks like but he got to, he wanted to say that like his biggest attribute he brings to a team is energy and that's exactly what it feels like when he's on the field he says I try to you know bring energy and I feel like you know, if I come off the field, I don't feel like I've brought some energy on each side of the ball. I think I've failed. And, you know, you can't put numbers on it on a piece of paper, but he certainly has brought that to our side. The thing I love about, like, having the two hookers too is he was out there for, what, 50-ish minutes or whatever it was. Mm. And he's just whacking people and getting involved in everything. And you, you're not worried about him getting tired and having to play out the last 30 minutes exhausted because you have somebody there you can bring on. And, like... If that happens at half time and he's too exhausted because of defence, then you know, whatever Segiari can play the second half, or if he's still killing people, you know, let him play sixty. You can change that up, but you're just not worried about like. In, this was always what we didn't like about Macca is he'd get exhausted, twenty thirty minutes left. Yeah, and then he throw garbage passes when we needed you know a field well, goal. Like more garbage passes because yeah. <laughs> from the first minute they're garbage, but. Yeah. And like even on McCulloch too, like even last year I didn't think he was that bad. I got in some arguments with Broncos fans and stuff over the off season and they really were Macca fans. I was like, you know, he's still not that bad. He's mm. one of the better hookers around, blah blah blah, you know, all the usual stuff and but obviously this year he's they were more right than I was apparently. Yeah, I mean last year it was like signs of the the fade coming in terms of lots of injuries and similar too, but you thought oh, maybe he'll bounce back over the off season didn't happen i think it feels like the acl injury that was the the one that's done it you just you never know what is them like oh they're coming back from that injury Mm. or they're just done like you 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 don't know so you're just taking a guess at that but obviously it seems more like he's just done yeah exactly but uh yeah and then you also as you said the two hookers thing and i know you mentioned earlier and many teams don't like doing it it actually works pretty well with our team in turn because like we have so many big minute forwards like, already we still only play Fafita 20 minutes, which pisses me off. But Fafita's the guy who can cover the centres anyway. Like, say if we lose a back, we have the pl- we have the forwards who can cover the centres. For example, Fafita could go out there. And then Sekiaro just plays bench hook. He's not a utility. We have the utility value in the other good players. But the fact that we already have Payne Haas playing 63 minutes, Lodge playing 50, Pango's only playing 45, Joe playing 45, Flegler 30. And there's still room for more minutes for Fafita. In fact, we've already got that. We don't need that extra forward on the bench. No, nah, it's change. fine. It's yeah. fine. So it works really well. Uh, so we'll talk about before we, we get on to a couple of players I want to mention there. I will mention Fafita. That's probably the only frustrating thing at the moment, the last two games for the, for the Broncos, is like his lack of minutes. I think every Broncos fan's on the couch screaming out, where's Fafita? <laughs> get him on the field. I mean... At least when he came in this game, like this game was obviously alive right till the eighty till the siren. Mm. So he actually got to play in a game that was alive. But you know, other weeks he's come on, the game's just dead already, and it's like, what's the point of him even playing at that point? Mm. Exactly. But this game he came on, and there was one run that was so good when the tr- angry angry with the troll saw, saw loser the troll tried to smash him, shot out of the line, Feeders fucking manned him, <laughs> threw him off, and made like another fifteen meters. He's like. You know, whatever, just physical for feeder is. And again, he only played 19 minutes, but in that 19 minutes, he had nine runs for 91 metres. Like, this guy is just pure output in terms of offensive output when he's on the field. I just, there's got to be a way to get more minutes into him. I mean, yeah, it, just play Glenn for half the game. Yeah, 
I mean, you know, I've been, we've all been Alex Glenn fans. Not all of us, but I've been a fan of his for a long time. Up and down, he's that kind of guy we've mentioned many a time. Feels like undefeated in terms of his Broncos career. It's just feels like it's been ended like seven times, but he's still there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they they tried on the, in this game particularly. They, tr- they actually tried to get Glenn going. They fed him a lot of short balls and a lot of a lot of lines back of the defense. And he had, I think he had fourteen carries. But I reckon I spoke to one fan after the game, and he was like, "Did Glenn do anything tonight?" And it's like, yeah, if a guy's had 14 carries, you didn't notice one of them. But it probably says a bit about his, his impact on the game currently. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I like the bloke, but definitely not going to be sad if he goes to the Titans sometime soon. Yeah, and I mean, I think he might be England-bound, to be honest, at this point. But yeah, you look at like that, a couple of those runs he had, there was like half gaps there. And you just know if Fafita had the same opportunities provided, he's bursting through one of those gaps. There's no doubt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the other, the three guys in the middle, we mentioned them already, but Pangai, mate, look, this is the game. Like, Pangai loves playing the big teams. We all know this. This is one of those games again. He turned up against the Roosters, played physical, but this is some of the things we liked. His seven offloads, and all of them found his, found their man. That's what I want to see from my boy, TBJ. I mean, that he had, like, three people on him when he got that one off to Haas, the Haas try. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, offloads just, they kill teams. So many tries get conceded off. There's an offload in the play. Exactly, and that's it. Like that's as you mentioned, that try there just came from individual plays again. And then the other guy you mentioned there, I mean, the hype was coming forever, forever. And but Jet Painhouse is one of those players who has more than justified that hype by some distance. Yeah, I mean, hasn't his contract? Doesn't that look good now? It does. I mean, his, his worst output this year is 120 meters. I mean, it's only time below 150. I was definitely nervous about it when it first got announced because you're like, man, this kid's played like 13 minutes of first grade at that point. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously somebody's watching him at training and they're like, yeah, this guy deserves it because, it, yeah, he's great value already. Yeah, I mean, you hear all this rubbish out of because especially our team, any any Broncos fan would know that we because we generally seem to have a beat rider in, in terms of the Courier Mail cover all of our trainings or whatever. Every young player ever that's coming in the first grade for the Broncos, you hear about all these like fifteen of twenty good stories. You know, did this at training, did that at the fitness drills, did that, was great at this, whatever. You hear all these crap stories, like you hear Jaden Sewers the best hitter ever, and the next Sunny Bill Williams like fifteen times. So it's hard to believe, know what's true or not. But yeah. then you watch Payne Haas, you're like, oh, he actually is the fittest big man of all time. <laughs> they oh, were lying. He, he definitely is fit. His fitness makes no sense at that size. Like, he always he never never looks tired. And as you know, the numbers he produces show that he's played like 65 minutes almost every week. He's made 220 metres this week and 22 runs against the Roosters. Has the highest... He's the only, okay, this is, this is one of the things. Like, and since metres are recorded, and I know I don't want to keep talking about metres stats because it's not the be-on end-all, but... Since metres were recorded in 1998 till now, he is the only forward ever, ever under 20 to average more than 150 metres. Ever. And the next closest guy is like 120. Like, he's averaging 176 at this moment. Like, we actually are talking about this guy potentially is the best young forward of all time. Well, until Fafita starts playing. But that's it. Like, at least the one we've seen. All time so far. Of modern era. Like, we always hear about who's the best young forward and all this kind of stuff, but... Mate, this guy's doing stuff in the middle of the field that's just unheard of. It takes so long for, for props to mature. Like, you think about when you hear about, like, people talk about Marco Mealy or George Burgess came along real young. And in the end, those guys are still 21 when they really cracked it big. 
Another one comparable is like Carl Webb was 20 and had 15 Broncos games when he played Origin. It's kind of close to Payne Haas, but Carl Webb was still playing the same role for Queensland as he played for the Broncos, which is like being the same person off the bench for 20 minutes, not carry the entire pack. <laughs> you remember that time he got the cue shaved into his head? Yes, he's a man. Carl Webb is a man. <laughs> Let's not, we're not going to doubt that. Kyle is a goddamn man. He's, he's goddamn yeah. insane. I, I got in a discussion about this play the other day because we were talking about if this was legal, and then I said, I, I'm pretty sure I remember this. Um, but so, was there a play in Origin where he went to lock at a scrum and then they fed it and he just picked it up and ran through the scrum? Do you remember that? Yes, that was a play. Yeah, because we were debating whether it was legal or not, and then I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this happened in Origin, but like... Yeah, what a man, Carl Webb. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that happened. Um, what like first on his very early on games, but yeah, great player, Carl Webb. But yeah, like I don't like doing the overhyping of players and saying of all time or similar, whatever, whatever. But there's a reason why this guy is going to be the least cat the Blues player. Well, there's an asterisk there. There's a Blues player, a guy called Paul Field, who played Origin without playing NRL. So that happened in 1983. He played Origin at a country rugby league level, but. He's the least. He's officially they'll call him the least cat player because Fitler played twelve games to play first grade. Sorry to play NRL. No, to play Origin. Jesus Christ, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> so for Fitler, twelve. So Fitler, twelve NRL games played Origin. Haas will be ten if he plays. And as you said, that contract is looking like a steal. It's so early on, a lot has to go right from here. But man, he as a nineteen-year-old, it's just out, out of this world of how reliable he's been since he's been on the side. I mean, getting picked for Origin when you haven't even played NRL, like, people keep telling me how good football was in the 80s, mate, and then stuff like that's happening. No, exactly right. And <laughs> and he's also, by the way, he's like only like the third or fourth teenage forward, if you get if he gets picked, of all time to be picked. Heaps of teenage backs have been picked. So, you know, Falau, Carmichael, uh, Ben Iken, Brett Dallas, lots of teenage backs, but there's like three teenage forwards ever, and it's like Bradley Clyde, um, Lindsay Johnston who's some early 80s blues, and then, oh, what's the other guy's name? Some, like, one other random 80s blue. Sorry, Queenslander. Like, it's um, not very often young forwards are this good. It's so much easier for a young player to be a back and be successful. Because you can sit out on a wing and you can, like, catch and fall tries or whatever, like, at a minimum. But if you're a, a middle forward and you come in, like, every other player on the other side is, like, in the prime of their career and just belting people, like... Yeah. To come in and be 19 and to be able to do it is dead exactly. set crazy. Like, okay, Gavin Jones debuted at 19, that's who it was, also in 1983 for Queensland. But, yeah, the other guys you think of young forwards today, though, I said Carl Webb was one of them. He's 20. You know, that's there's not there's none like this. Carl, Cohen Hess debuted at 20, but that was, like, end of a series, desperate Queensland, throw him in. And he was and he's, was Gash and is Gash. Half a different beast. But. He plays edge a fair bit, too. Well, yeah, Hess. It's different, isn't it, right? Like, not many people have come in in the, in the you know, the physical role in the middle and, and dominated like Haas has. And then you've got, like, you know, you've got Matt Lodge as well now for us. That middle is, as we've known, once once we've got those guys on the field and fit, it's up there with the best pack in the competition. And it has got that potential to be one of the, one of the great Broncos packs. I, it's just crazy to think you could have Lodge, Haas, Pangai, well, not Pangai anymore because he's Tonga, but... Yeah. Like, literally, essentially, the you could have that as, like, the Blues middle. It's weird, isn't it? <laughs> and then, then we've got Blake. <laughs> I just still, again, can't get my head around, like, 
what did, why do we give Jaden Sewer anything? <laughs> he's on our best like twenty one <laughs> plays now. He still can't crack this side. And everyone uh, else seems to be emerging, whatever. But yeah, it's just yeah. Uh, good times in that regard. And anyway, we should probably move on from this game. We probably could talk about it forever because we finally got a win and we beat a good team. And we shut the troll down again. But uh, let's move on. Have you got any fan thoughts that are worth it? Or should we just um, go straight to the... I had review? a quick look through them all, but there's a lot of just cheering for Segiaro. A lot of similar stuff. So Mate, was... the man deserves it. Oh, yeah, man. for sure. But I'm not... Yeah. I'm just not going to read out 18, like, how good is Segiaro stuff, please. So. Are you sure? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, right I'm enjoying... I think also with Milford, by the way, when people are quiet, that's a good thing. When other fans aren't talking, that's a good thing. That's it. Not many people credit him, but no one's talking about him right now, so you know he's playing well. Yep. Okay, we'll move on to the preview of the next game. So, anyway... On a Saturday, we've got anyway this Saturday in uh, in Auckland, Mount Smart Stadium, the Brisbane Broncos take on the New Zealand Warriors at five thirty p.m. You got the Broncos team, mate. Oh yeah, sorry. Oh wait, no. Well, I was saying, God, I forgot something. History between the sides. <laughs> yeah, uh, I was like, I was sitting here waiting for you. <laughs> uh, Forty-three games, twenty-four wins for the Broncos, eighteen losses, and one draw. A pretty tight record, but. You'd probably expect that, considering that the his- history of Warriors game teams turning up against Brisbane and Origin rounds. And Origin rounds, they always get those. Um, right, so for us, we have Darius Boyd at fullback, Corey Oates, and I guess Stags will be over on the left. I guess he's still staying over there. Uh, Jemat Chibisaki, Jermaine Asako over on the right. Anthony Milford, five eight. Tom Dearden, halfback. Front rowers Matt Lodge and Payne Haas with Turpin is the hooker. Alex Glenn, Matt Gillette in the second row and TPJ Locke. In a change of Segiaro, Fafida, Flegler and Offerhangawi. Um, reserves are Carrigan, James Roberts, Parisi and Sean O'Sullivan. Yeah, good to see uh, Parisi get in there by the way. So that's interesting, getting on the fringe of the team. But anyway, over on to the New Zealand Warriors side. At fullback, Roger Tuovasa-Shek on the wings. David Fusatua on the right with Kemamalo on the left. The centres, Patrick Herbert on the right-hand side with Peter Hiku on the left-hand side. In the halves, Cody Karima and Blake Green. How good does it feel to read that name on another team sheet? That's nah, it's going to be a revenge game for sure. Probably. Whatever, I don't care. Uh, forwards, Bunty Afoa and Leeson Armau are the props with Isaac Luke at Hooker, the back row, Lachlan Burt, Locke, Isaiah Papali'i on the right-hand side with Toho Harris on the left-hand side. The bench, Jazz Tavanga, Adam Blair gets back into the side, Liggy Sow and Carl Lawton. And the reserves, Jared Beal, Lavaha Pulu, Chris Sartai and Chanel Harris-Tavita. Lots of Bronco scraps there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my first thought is just I hope Jared Beal doesn't play because I can't risk like our 5'8 getting a... F- face fracture so (laughs) yeah I'll tell you what it is it's one of those things I couldn't care less if Nick Ream is one of the best players in the competition from here on he was never going to be that at my team I couldn't care less how good he is at the Warriors it just feels so good to not have to watch him play in a Broncos jersey ever again which is it I mean as far as I'm concerned we're doing better with Tom Dean Warriors doing decent with Cody Nick he's playing okay like you're allowed to have a win-win in a swap or like you know something like that so who cares if he's playing well for the Warriors? We're doing better without him. They're doing better with him. So, good for everyone. Yeah. 
Exactly. Perfect, perfect move to get him over there. Um, am a little concerned, as always, when we go to play the Warriors. I know last year when we went over there, we put on a pretty good performance the first the first game of the year over there, but then they came to Brisbane and were in the middle of a good run of form and they absolutely pounded us. So it's kind of always a mixed bag when we play the Warriors, and that's kind of the team they can be historically. So it's hard for me to be confident, but you look at the team on paper and you think, geez, we should really dust these bunch of fools, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, you just look down the list and, like, we, we shouldn't lose to this team. But, yeah. you know, if the Warriors, if they do turn up, they're a good side. They can definitely, like, put some points on quickly. They can beat some good sides themselves, you know. But you just... Oh, yeah. Are we locked on for two of us to check stepping Darius Boyd's out of the universe? <laughs> <laughs> but... On the other hand, though, Darius Boyd could probably still step two of us a shack because yeah, he's not the best in open field defence himself. <laughs> oh, I guess it's a classic one for like the diving with the arm out and like obviously not actually trying to tackle the guy, but just making contact with a hand. Oh, I tried. <laughs> Remember when Jack Reed stepped him in open yes. field? Yeah, yes. like. <laughs> so you know that that one could go both ways. Um, but oh man, yeah, if he gets in open field, Darius is not stopping him. But Darius wouldn't stop me either. So. Is what it is. Yeah, exactly right. It, you know, it is what it is. But you look at that side now, you look across there, they've got Bunty Afoa, Leeson Armel, and Lachlan Bloody Burr lining up against our strong middle of Lodge, Haas, and Pangai. Then off the bench, they're still doing that thing where they're playing Jasavunga as a middle, but some weeks he seems to play hooker, Carl Lawton playing hooker, and then Liggy Sow and Adam Blair, their, their other middle rotation. It's not exactly a threatening forward pack. But um, I don't want the boys... Be the, we, we know what this Broncos team can be like. I don't want them to be thinking the same things I'm thinking right now because we won't win if we turn <laughs> up like that. Mate, we just beat the Premiers. They're definitely thinking that right now. They yeah. think that all they have to do is show up to the field and they'll get two competition points. Like <laughs> Exactly. Exactly right. What is really interesting too is that the Warriors have switched the side of the field Nick Rama plays on. So he's playing on the left-hand side. So he will actually line up against Tom Dearden. So we're going to get the gnome off. We're going to get the two midgets juking it out. Proven who who actually wins. None of this win win Simo because decided on this one game who wins, who won the draw, who won the swap. Uh, if the Warriors win, it'll set us back ten years. Yeah, it doesn't matter if Deden goes on to have a fifteen year successful career at the Broncos. It's all settled on this one game. <laughs> win or loss, we'll see. But uh, yeah, I am interested to see if the boys have done will do to him what Wayne Bennett did to Nick Rema when he was the England coach, which was send all of his traffic at him. So one of the boys will learn. I mean, if Seabold doesn't do that, what kind of coach are you, mate? Yeah, I mean, who are we kidding like, here if he doesn't do that? Like, you've had that problem for eight weeks of people just running over your half. You couldn't defend next, like, you couldn't protect him. Mm. And then when he's at a different side, if if you don't run at him all game, what are you even doing? 100%. 2,000%. That's what I would love to see that. I want to see some... Pangai and Haas on that edge there, flipping out, slipping out wide off, maybe off an offload from one or the other to each other, and just running over the little fucking midget. Give me some, <laughs> just give me something. I saw enough of it happen to my team. Give me something, boys. Just give me something to take on. I'll, I'll handle a loss if we run over here like four times. I'll take a loss. <laughs> so we go on from saying it's okay that we don't want to, that we can win, win, whatever. I've flipped in like five minutes to making it. It's it's a grudge match. It's personal. <laughs> Don't care if we lose as long as I don't get people on Twitter messaging me that we should have kept Nicarima. Oh, I'll get that anyway. <laughs> Even if we win, I'll get that from some idiots. Because that's just about DMs I get. <laughs> that's just it. 
But uh, anyway, I don't know if there's much we really want to preview here because we've got questions and Game of Thrones Weekly to get to. Yeah, yeah, and we're already like an hour in or something. So, why, don't we, why don't we just move 46. straight on, on to the questions before we hit Game of Thrones Weekly? Obviously, Broncos 13 plus. We're back. Oh, easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rodio, on to Facebook from Edge. He says, Could Seabold put Fafita starting on the right edge this week to run at Nicarim all game? Broncos would carve up. Oh, isn't that the dream? Can we oh, get that yeah. to ha- make that happen? I don't know how, but we'll add into the. We will Nicarima out of the club. Can we will Fafita into <laughs> Nicarima? Make it happen. Uh, from uh, sorry look at our go mate go uh, right from Daryl he said best game for a long time but will we show consistency no <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Jack he said it's only taken six games for Payne Haas's much maligned contract extension to become the best value deal in the comp what other good contracts at the moment do we have uh, none of them but that was that, that Payne Haas deal me and you didn't actually bash that money at the time that was we were on board with that. It was like we paid him what he would have got paid anywhere. That's it. That the mar- the value wasn't set by us feeling like paying that. And it was the same thing. I didn't say this, but I remember when Ponga signed for the Knights, and I was immediately calling it. That was a fantastic deal. Like people were out there bashing 500k a year for Ponga. Every single club would would fight tooth and nail and maybe run over their own mothers to get that deal from Ponga right now. And it's the same think, thing with Haas. I think the people just thought about the Haas one. Is it was six years, isn't it? Yeah, it's a long deal. It is, but 500k on your cap is not going to... Over that distance, with the, the cap is now, it's not going to kill you, even if he flames out. It's same thing with the Ponga one. So you have to, with If that player can get that on the open market, someone has to take the punt, and I'm glad we're the club that did it. That's also like with the Tamalolo one. His was like 10 million, 10 years or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, even if the cap stays the same, you're happy to pay him that. But like if the cap goes up, then you just... It's a bargain deal, you know, like, and surely the cap's going to go up in the next 10 years at some point, so... Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, for interest, by the way, people, uh, if you look, go on NRL.com, if you search signings, you know, they've got a signings tracker going on, but they've actually put out contracts on there finally, but with the designation of player options, club options, and mutual options. So they're actually on the NRL website. There's no salaries yet, obviously, but at least you can go on there now and look at the contracts and understand, oh, look, Matt Lodge's last year is a player option. Hey, McCulloch's actually only signed for this year. His next two AEs are also a player option. So it's pretty cool. You can only see that kind of stuff now. We understand that some of these deals aren't locked in for as long as we thought they were. Hopefully, too, this might help. Sometimes you see, like, a player, a team might sign a player for a million a year. Mm. And people are like, what? How do they have the salary cap? Because I guess they're just assuming, like, the other 29 players are there. But if you went, if you go online, you might see, oh, they've got that player and, like, mm. 13 others signed in for that year. Like... Yeah, it was like when the Warriors signed two of us a check, and all the fans were like, oh, how can they afford him? And then, then you realise, oh, like the entire team was off contract. Yeah, and so it's like, you know, maybe they're planning on moving on half of those, and so you've got to fit, like, you know, for mm. that year, their cap might only be half full at that point, because they've still got to sign a lot of people, you know. So, yeah. it's good to look, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get salaries and stuff up soon, but yeah, I guess okay. the RLPA would be against that yeah, and, and it's good to look down at the Penrith one and realise they've signed like their entire custard squad for like three years <laughs> remember, remember it was like three years back and it was like this team has got the whole side signed for the next three years and like they're going to win a grand final and they're not going to lose any of their players after the grand final because they've already signed them all and it's like yeah, yeah how's that working for you but, champ but in that period they also had Matt Moylan on Bryce Carter on a five year deal so they're also being punted yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got, they've got some terrible contracts now. And then Latini's Lesniak leave, apparently, right now, too. So, great club. 
Anyway, what's yeah. what's the, what's the next question? Uh, from Andrew, he said, "Is there a connection between Broncos weekly game previews and losses?" Well, if you don't want a podcast ever again, that's how you go about getting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he said, "Also, what will Game of Thrones weekly be substituted with?" I don't know. It's one we've been through this before. It's actually there's not many shows left that are a social or pop cultural phenomenon like Game of Thrones that require you to watch every week and keep up with it. It's a well, hard segment to replace. The Part of the problem with that is, like, most people just watch stuff on Netflix or streaming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get, like, oh, a whole season gets dropped. But I would watch the whole season of something I want to watch in the week. And I'm not coming on here to talk about a whole season of something I've watched and you might not have even watched it. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. Not but much luckily, happens like Game of Thrones did. There'll be like 10 million prequels made, <laughs> so it'll be back soon. <laughs> oh, man, I... Ah, we'll talk about prequels soon we'll enough. Right, From Paulie. What's going to happen when Maka is ready to come back, especially if the boys keep winning in the meantime? I don't know, but let's keep winning so we, don't have to, so we can find out. <laughs> like, obviously, it's going to be hard for them not to bring him back. He's seen as a senior player, one of the leadership players... He's in the bloody coach's box currently, and it's not very often is it not a key place in the coach's box when they're injured. So he's obviously in favour, but if we keep winning, if we win not the next four in a row, you can't bring him back. So that's yeah. what I want to see happen. And, and, you know, maybe after that with his player option, maybe he does look around at other clubs for next year's. I doubt it because player options can lock in the money getting paid, but, yeah, let's just, let's just keep seeing what happens. I fully expect McCulloch to be brought back in, but I'm hoping not. And maybe in two weeks, my opinion changes based on performances of Turpin and Seguiaro. Uh, from Dale, he said, How good is a nine with zip, or better, two nines with zip? What, what have I missed here? Well, I, would, I wouldn't say Turpin has oh, zip. Oh, wait, hookers with zip. Oh, yeah, I, I was I w- like, nine with zip. I'm like, who's nine zip? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say Turpin has zip. Like, I mean, he's got more zip than McCulloch, but yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not, not hard. So does Darius Boyd. No, but just the front foot he gets us on has been nice. How clean our sets have looked in possession. Like, they don't seem to bog down. Remember how much, how many times we had sets bogged down when McCulloch was a nine? Like, all those sets that we had blamed that the entire spine failed to set up, whatever, whatever, all was shit dummy half service. Like, that set we didn't set, set for field goal earlier in the year where they had the two passes and McCulloch hit the ground with. Ain't seen those, sh- those shit sets, have you, the last two weeks? <laughs> Remember that set we got the ball on the halfway line with a scrum and still that's didn't make one. it past yeah. the 40 metre? Yeah. Yeah, hit the, the ball hit the deck twice in that set from McCulloch. Like, that's just it. Like, uh, and he looks around and blames everybody else, but that's it. When you put your hands in the air at dummy half and look at everyone else, it's kind of your fault, champ. Um, Rightio, this one's from Mitchell. He said, why is this page so effing awful? <laughs> what page? Our Broncos Weekly page. Effing awful. <laughs> um, oh, brutal. And lastly on here from Dan, he said, if the colour I see is red and you see it as green, how would we know? Also, create a colour not yet discovered and can you please explain it? Man, what have you been smoking? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about this like when I did colour studies and stuff. Mm. There's no way to know what colour everyone else is seeing. Like... Obviously, if there's a colour on the wall and I see it as red and you see it as blue, that colour is both named, blue, like, red or blue. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's got the same name. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 keep going. Yeah, so, like, there's no... 
there's nowhere we can get outside of this world and have like a point of relativity of colors and like oh yeah we're all seeing slightly different things like i mean everybody is seeing different colors nobody's seeing the same colors it's all different yeah, that's obviously why, like, you know, again, we all have different tastes. You see someone, see someone wearing, like, a, col- a T-shirt, and you're like, what was wrong with them? Are they blind? That colour's disgusting. You know, it's like, well... I mean, the dress was like clearly different. black and blue, so yes. it wasn't white and gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean... I yeah, there's know. no way you can ever know for sure. Like, it's... you got... There's no um, colour relativity panel or something. There isn't. Exactly right. And then the other one, invent a new colour, well, no. <laughs> there isn't I mean, new colours. You, you can't invent a new colour. You're asking us to invent a colour on an audio medium and then tell you what it is without with inventing a new name. It's not possible, sir. I mean, colour is literally like a combination of every colour we have from white to black. Like, mm-hmm. you can't invent a new colour. Like, all of the colours are there. They all exist already. Except, like, the ultraviolet spectrum and stuff like that that you can't see, so... <laughs> there we go. Let's right get crazy. Enough, enough of that. Over on Twitter now. From uh, DT Owens 98 he said, Thoughts on Dearden? Oh, I mean, I think we covered it kind of earlier. He hasn't made every post a winner. He hasn't really come up and blown the game, game away, but he has been the most composed-looking hardback we've had in a while. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean... It's not hard. Either. It's not hard, but that's, that's it. That's a low bar. It is a low bar, and the bar was definitely set low for him, and he he stepped over it, like it, you know. Oh, I'm good happy on to him. Work, that's... Yeah. You're happy to work with young halfbacks when they're not a negative on the side, and he's not a negative. He's been a positive, only a small one, but that's it. The rest of the team has performed with him there. I'm happy with him. Uh, Righto, Mister Underscore S Triple Eight. With Cody revenge game imminent, what do you miss least about his game? A midfield chip kicks. B turnstile defence C lack of direction as a halfback D his family protecting him on social media E all of the above oh there's a lot of good choices there his family protecting him on social media well, I don't know actually in those Facebook groups so I only ever get things when they're shared to me but even at, we, I think we mentioned at one point by the end of his Broncos tenure even his family were taking him out of the Broncos halves <laughs> <laughs> like, uh. sort of I miss that I, will not, I think it's the midfield chip kicks I'll miss uh, like I'm glad they're gone the most because I like you can't hide someone in defense right but he used to drive me insane when they keep getting him to keep the ball and it's like what are you doing we all know what happens here stop giving him the ball yeah while we're out here also too is good magic round went drove down to Brizzy with Mitch here spend most of the weekend with or not most some of the weekend with him drinking and stuff so it's good good time good, good we missed, missed out on magic round review because it's been like we did. A week. Well, apparently, you've all got like magic round come down and rugby, rugby leagues be ruined for you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> mate. I like barely watched a game since. Like, it's just, like, <laughs> I'm chasing that high and it's not coming back. You'd had a local competitions looking for it, <laughs> looking for the magic. <laughs> I'm just like traveling around to like reserve grade games so yeah. I can fit four in a day. Anyone got that magic round? Good shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking I'm looking around for Braith and Asta so we can abuse him walking through a media entrance somewhere. <laughs> like. <laughs> Um, from Osport Matters, if you're an NRL GM, player A is a Kiwi or Pom, with so plays an extra NRL game, or player B is an Origin player. All things equal, who is worth more to the club slash team? Okay, so there's two ways of putting this. Um, the first way is if I'm, say I am in, I'm Brisbane, 
having a Mabrones great, assuming this person is a good or great player, is a fantastic thing for the Broncos in terms of marketability, profitability, and all that jazz. The, the team never gets around to play more than it does against a good, around a, more, a good origin player. Like, how much through Broncos history have we loved guys like Hodges when he when he turned good there? Lockyer, Alfie, Kevy, whatever. Even when Sam Thayer was a good origin player, everyone loved him. That's yep. great for the club. That's the first lens you can look at through. The second lens is if I'm some shit cunt club, if I'm te- some terrible club, if I'm <laughs> I don't know who, maybe maybe I'm the Tigers, Canberra, or Canberra. I know you bought Canberra. That's a good one. You might get an origin player and you might get hailed or not. But origin players get paid more than everyone else does. Yeah. So, same skill level, everything else is equal. I will take the Kiwi because he will get paid less for the same level of talent. The origin players are worth more in contract negotiations. They just are. Yeah. I mean, all things being equal, like say they're the same player, I... Yeah, I think the contract, the price really is the only real difference. Like, an extra game for me doesn't make that much of a difference. Like, it could be injured and miss four games or anyway. Like, who knows what's going to happen as far as... Like, that one extra game isn't a huge difference for me. It's not. One game's definitely not enough difference. And and as as you said, um, injury comes into it as well if they're all equal. But yeah, I just think... But I do, like, obviously we all love it as a Broncos fan when you have one of those guys who's killing it at origin level and killing for Brisbane. Everyone loves that. Yeah. Um, also from Off Sport Matters, he said TPJ cockteasing Freddie was a hundred percent a contract play. Uh, see, I don't understand how it could be a contract play because if he hasn't re-signed yet, why would he? Is he pulling out now? You're saying he's pulling out for his contract to make him worth more because Origin gets you paid more again, or you get make money through Origin. I don't think it was yeah. a contract play. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I think he, what he said, by the way, if you don't know if you know what Pan Guy said, I think what he said is honest. I've had this discussion a few times around the office with other guys. We work with a lot of footy clubs, obviously. But Pong, Tonga has this like feeling of like, it's not really like they're on football tour. It's like they're just hanging out with the boys again. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the videos the team puts out, but like, they're just being, you know, whatever, just being dumb, dumb kids hanging out together and they're not really put into a serious camp. They go and have fun. And it's a real big difference to the other arenas. And, and then Pangai referenced, he said he likes what Freddie's building at the Blues, but he couldn't step away from that experience he got with Tonga. He needs to go away with those guys. And after confirming with the other guys that are all staying, he's like, well, I'll stay as well. Yeah, I I still don't really get why you can't play for Tonga and New South Wales. Like, Well, he can, but the problem <laughs> is... Um, the problem is he there's a Tonga game during this series... And then, obviously, they if they if you pick, play for the Blues, you're supposed to be eligible for New South Wales. Sorry, for Australia. And then if you don't get picked for Australia, you can play for Tonga. Stupid system. It's pretty funny how we have stricter origin rules than we have international rules. So that's the game we are. <laughs> I mean, it's more the tier one nations like England yeah. and New Zealand. That, but again, like under the eligibility rules as they are, like separate, you can be mm-hmm. eligible for New Zealand and you, you can follow the criteria and be eligible for Queensland or New South Wales. So. Like, as long as you can fit in them, I don't see why, like, they mm-hmm. should be combined. Like, have them separate. Yeah, if you can play for Queensland, good for you. You can play for Queensland. And I, you know, there's, like, heaps of bumper stickers and stuff. You see people driving around town, and there's, like, Queenslander with, like, a Kiwi fern, and then the NS in the middle is, like, an NZ. Like, the people are, like, there's heaps of people at Queensland and New Zealanders, like, 
Yeah, anyway, whatever. Yeah, and I mean, uh, but I think it's one of those things. Like, I'm actually happy. It was it was harder when picking my Origin teams on NRL Boom Rookies yesterday. It was actually pretty hard to pick two good teams. And I think that's, uh, whilst everyone loves Origin, it's a really good thing for the game that we've got to a space now that, like, the influx of international players has been as such that Origin is no longer, like, this straight-out pinnacle of the best players play it. Like, you look at Tonga's full pack, and there's going to have Taumalolo and Fafida, Andrew Fafida, that is, and it's going to have... Um, Topangai and it's going to have Takayaho that's like four of the best middles in the competition Yeah, that aren't playing Origin I think that's a great thing for the international game and I think it's you know hopefully it opens up over the next coming years that we will open up in this middle if we are going to be having a mid-season rep window alongside Origin let's have some serious reps not just one rep game Yep, radio uh, from Aaron J. Rose. Actually, speaking of Magic Round, Aaron uh, hooked me up with a ticket for Magic Round, so a huge thanks oh, for that. Guy. Good guy. Um, which seven will the Roosters sign from our ranks that will set us back 10 years? Sean O'Sullivan goes back, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he definitely could. Oh, it's by the way, it's, um, it's Ben Walker's son. That's who it is. Sam Walker. I'm telling you, that's the one. Keep your eyes out. So Sam Walker's 16 plays for Ipswich the Walker brothers apparently don't like Seabold and I've no idea again if Sam's going to make it but Sam is seen as like that next hot prospect and if you might remember Ben Walker himself when he was like 16 was like the business on the way through that's the guy that's the one who's going to end up down at the Roosters yeah I mean I'm not too fussed if we lose any of the Walkers like whatever yeah I know I mean I'm not that fussed either right like he could come out being a great player but it's like obviously we have like all these halfbacks we're investing in one of them Already, whatever. You just you got to pick one and you got to stick with him for four years and have a look. Like, yeah. uh, Mr. Unscore S Triple Eight again says, Shout out to the PNG based Broncos Weekly fans. Thanks for sharing Chico 9 with us. So, uh, <laughs> we have like 3,000 Facebook fans with PNG, but I reckon like one of them listens to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got to be about that ratio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Danny Boy 1995. Should the Game of Thrones writers have made Seguiaro the king of Westeros? No shit. <laughs> what are we asking these questions for, obviously RCG Kennedy will Macca get the 9 jersey back as soon as he is fit or do you think Queensland Cup while Turpin Seggy combo going well if he did come back I think Seggy stays on the bench before Turpin agree I agree with that I think regardless Seggy has probably got a spot yeah which is a good thing because I can live with 45 minutes of McCulloch or 50 minutes of McCulloch I can live with that but obviously if Turpin keeps his form up yeah let's hope he goes back to Queensland Cup uh, King Wally FC11. I don't know if this is like... Is another chan- a handle change? Yeah, or just an alter count or something. Anyway, uh, thoughts on Ash Taylor's form. Did we avoid another 10-year crisis? Uh, obviously, it's turned out a pretty good one for us, but I think that's also a lot to do with the club and the surroundings. He's just taken the money that was offered there, and he's... What, what did Wayne Bennett call it when he, we signed Corbin Sims? A social loafing. That's what... That's what... <laughs> Ash Taylor is he's not he's, that club that whole club isn't driven or pushing themselves to be better he just gets by on whatever being okay and he gets paid a million bucks a week and whatever that's it we, we didn't uh, I don't know if we, like obviously if he played for us we'd be a better player I don't think we if we dodged a bullet but we're not we're not missing him right now to, you know we're not looking at that deal uh, being jealous uh, from Ben X Mansfield he said does Boyd have to call Haas dad now which I don't get but yes I don't know if you do. Let's just say yes. I, mean, I don't get it either. Every, everyone can. <laughs> uh, and then there's uh, another question about Andrew McCulloch, Turpin, and Seguiaro. So yeah, no, we've, we've done we've that. We've answered that eight times. 
Oh, well, well, good to answer all the questions and stuff. It's good to be back in that regard, and it's only blasted one week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get on to what, like, two listeners' wives are here for. <laughs> G'day, ladies. <laughs> what well, I imagine most people are here for. Yeah, so Game of Thrones weekly or half-monthly, whatever it is at this point. <laughs> the last ever. Should, should, are we, are we like going there? So we, we obviously did the first three episodes before we, we've had a little hiatus. Should we go back through episodes or just give our general thoughts on how the show finished? I think probably general thoughts are probably a better one. I mean, yeah, general thoughts. I'm sure it's going to jump all over the place and we'll cover a bit of everything, but... Mm. I mean, general thoughts is just, like, proper crap, really. Um. <laughs> just absolutely crap. And, I mean, if it, it's all come out in the last few weeks. Like, even all the casts have all these videos. If you haven't looked at them, just just go on YouTube and write Game of Thrones cast. Even all the people who've been in the show have all these interviews and stuff saying how garbage it is. Not a good yeah, it's, it's. I love seeing those reactions because it's like, you know, it's not just me being, like, upset that I spent a decade of my life watching this. You know, like... Everybody hates this except like D and D, the two writers. Yeah, and and people who can shove it who are like being apologetic for like the writers and oh, you guys, you know that that people are going on about like you privileged or entitled or that kind of crap. It's like, do you not understand how much money this show makes? People are entitled to have an opinion on the show being shit house and finishing and feeling ripped off. People have invested eight years of watching this thing into it and it's made squillions of dollars for HBO. Like HBO, if you I don't know if you saw it, but like the day after the um. The day after this, it aired, there was like record Google searches of cancel Foxtel and yet also cancel HBO. <laughs> like, um, you know what my favourite defence of the writers is? Is that yeah. like, oh, but they did such a great job for like five or six seasons. Like, it's just the last two seasons that they did bad. And it's like, oh, the ones oh, they wrote. <laughs> you mean, yeah, the two that they wrote and like where there was material already written for them, like they managed to put that on screen. Yeah. And to be fair, adapting is still a skill. They did that well. They adapted to the yeah. screen. They, they made some story changes themselves to make it fit better on screen. Yeah, but that's, that's not like... But... That's not the the job that gets you like known as the best writers in TV that, you know, that's somebody else's story, not yours. And exactly. as soon as you write a story, you just like bugger it all up. Yeah, good on yeah. you. And like, as we, we've all heard now, if you've paid attention, at one point they were slated for 10 seasons, then 8 seasons, then 10 episodes this season. And I don't care what anybody says, it's obviously been cut short because of those guys, who, the showrunners, who have gone down a different path and want to make money in other ways. They've just had enough. And they've even mentioned themselves they had fatigue. But it's just the way they've thrown this show to the shit and how HBO just let it happen as well. It's kind of like they just back these guys in because they make them a lot of money. And, but it's just gone to absolute shit. Like the way we have, we had four different villains in four episodes, pretty much, right? Like different bad guys. We've had yeah. for the whole show, the whole series' existence, we've had like two bad people, and then we have like yeah. four different ones. And like I saw a thing they were saying on Reddit, they were talking about this, where like if you had ten episodes for the last two seasons, mm-hmm. so the the finale of season seven then becomes the battle for Winterfell, and yeah. all of that. And then you've got a whole 10 episodes for, like, the march to King's Landing, the battle at King's Landing, Danny becoming a mad person, which is, like, my favourite thing. I've been waiting a decade for that. We've been saying that since the start. Oh, man, like... I, like, episode four, I hated. Episode five, I hated even more. But episode six, I, like, I didn't mind just because Danny got stabbed, and I've been waiting for that forever because I just think she's entitled, like, brat that thinks she gets 
to get gifted the world. Yeah, we've been saying for dragon. ages. And how oh, funny man, the people just... who name themselves their kids after her, Daenerys oh, and Khaleesi. It's, it's beautiful. It's <laughs> <laughs> so beautiful. It's just what a wonderful world we live in that this can happen. And it's great. It is great. But, that, yeah. but it's just thing, the um, whole last season was just everything was, like, as we said, plot points put on a piece of paper. They just skipped to the next plot point. There was no development of each story. And people can still say all they want about, oh, but, you know, there was this, the result was good. That's not what TV shows are. You don't watch TV shows because things just happen. You watch story and development and what happens to get to that point. Like, obviously, we knew when the season kicked off, we knew there'd be, there'd be a, Cersei would die. We, most of us kind of knew Daenerys would get go crazy and die. We knew those kind of things would happen, but the way they happened was pathetic. Yeah, even like... It's just little stuff like John kills Danny, and then the next scene is like hard cut to Tyrion being brought out and like in front of people and they're making jokes and it's like there was three weeks in between there that they just skipped and it's like so that apparently is not important enough so he can just get cut but then there's like a three minute scene of the small council making jokes about like rebuilding brothels before rebuilding bridges like yeah why do we like- why do we need that? And people like Yara laughing at democracy. Meanwhile, she's from the only part of the, all, all of the, the Game of Thrones world that has a democracy. She's laughing at it. It's like, oh, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... And, like, obviously this is super obvious to a lot of people, but the thing that's annoyed me a lot about this show is just... I mean, you'd almost call it continuity. Like, yeah. you got the Battle for Winterfell. The whole Dothraki, Dothraki horde rides into the darkness and gets murdered... D&D literally said in an interview, like, you see the whole Dothraki horde get murdered and none of them extinct. are left anymore. So they are instinct, pretty much, at the end of yeah. the race. And then the next episode, they're like, oh, we have half the Dothrakis and they're, like, riding through King's Landing, like, murdering people. And then the dragon burns down all of the Red Keep. Yeah. It is, like, non-existent. And then in the next episode, it's all completely there and it's just got, like, minor structural damage, like, cosmetic yeah. damage, sorry. And it's like, yeah. what... What are you doing, like... Yeah, and then, like, somehow the Unsullied, the guys without dicks, have multiplied by a thousand. <laughs> they can't fuck. They I can't multiply. They're like, oh, let's let's give these guys their own house and their own land, and they can, like, create their own house. And it's like, what? That's going to last for 30 years, because yeah. they're all dead, and they can't have kids. Like, and on, oh. on that, it's, not, it's like number 100 of my gripes. It's right down the bottom, but the Dothraki also going with the Unsullied makes no sense, because... They were never tied to them. They were, they're, they're their own race of people. Now, that's yeah. the unsullied, unsullied butt buddies now, apparently. I mean, realistically, the unsullied are just going to start, like, pillaging through Westeros and doing whatever they want because yeah. who's going to stop them? Like, yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. And not only was it terrible seeing, like, we didn't get to see on screen what happened with Jon Snow after he killed Daenerys. We didn't get to see that at all. We just, you know, Jack Greyhound comes in, takes him, and we don't see it. Just like we didn't see scenes, like, when he told Sansa and Arya that he was who he was John so that is then we get like you said we get on screen we get this weird trial so Tyrion's brought to trial he gets there they're like don't talk you're on trial and then 30 <laughs> seconds later there's like hey Tyrion picked the king <laughs> like, yeah hey. Tyrion Tyrion gives a five minute monologue that like changes the course of Westerosi history like yeah. And all of a sudden, Grey Worm's the second most influential person in Westeros, even though he's yeah, the who, dead. Yeah, who put pointless. that guy in charge? Like, no one even likes him, and yet he's, like, suddenly in charge of everything. He's running he's the place. a dickless slave. Legitimately a dickless slave. is now the second most powerful person there. 
Like, yeah. Turn it up. <laughs> you see the water bottle on, in that in that yeah. set too. Yeah, yes. water bottle. And like, then he goes on Tyrion's speech is disgusting too, going about how Bran is like has the best story. And he's like, there's like 15 best stories in Game of Thrones over Bran's Man. bloody history. Bran got pushed out a window and became a cripple. Like, what a story. Yeah. And I think like, that, yeah, okay. so you go, mate. I mean, Aaron Rodgers nailed it, where he listed, like, yeah. literally every single other person. And, like, Samuel Tarly has a better story than Bran. He, like, he's killed White Walkers, and he, like, done all that stuff he's done. He was on the wall for a bit. Like, he has a much better story than Bran. Bran got yeah. pushed around in a wheelchair, and, like, that's his story. And they're doing things now. This is what I think they took this. They thought George R. 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 Martin surprised people because he just did weird shit. Like, oh yeah, like they made Arya the the person who killed the Night King, which is retarded anyway, because you know, well, surprised you. Again, that's yeah. not how TV works. They George R. R. Martin surprised us because he had set up these feuds, but then he killed people main characters don't die. It wasn't like they came from nowhere. We knew, you know, we knew that the Starks were having a feud when they when he killed Ned. Yeah. We knew, the, we knew these things. That, like, that's why they were surprised that people actually, big characters actually die. weren't surprised just because something random happened. And that's the same thing with Bran being king. It's like, hey, gotcha with this guy. This guy who said on screen four episodes ago that, hey, I don't want to be king. I'm no longer Bran Stark. I'm the third-eyed raven. Turns out he's Bran Stark again. <laughs> he's king. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, the whole show was just set up to be John killing yeah. the, the Night King, and then, but then like Aya also, like, her whole show is her training to become like a badass assassin, and then, so is the Night King the plan all along? Because if it's not him, like she does nothing. Yeah, and that's it. Like I, I've said this on Boomerookies last time, but I use it again tonight. It's like Aya killing the Night King is like if Chewbacca killed Darth Vader. <laughs> Yeah, it's, this one was good. It's like, like yeah, it's like you know, from episode one, season one, north of the wall, and the Night King has been Jon Snow's story the entire time through the whole thing. We get to the final battle, and it's like, oh, here we go, he's gonna go kill the Night King. Then Chewbacca comes out from behind a fucking rock. No one knows how he got there, he got there, and just kills Darth Vader. That's the comparison. Like, just gets out there and kills him, and then we never find out any of the other stuff. We don't find out Luke's his father. Don't find out Night King's motivation. Whatever, dead. Story's over, but surprised you. Yeah, oh, so, <laughs> so shocked. And that's the same thing. Like, you're right. Oh, yeah, again, they spent eight seasons or seven seasons developing her into this killer. She goes to the faceless man, learns how to switch faces. I know she did use those faces to kill people, but it's like we get to the end of the series and she's like, oh, hey, I'm just going on my gap year. I pop my cherry, I'm going on my gap year sailing west. I'm a fucking millennial from 2018 now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, she, she did kill some people like... But all of that felt like it was, you know, part of her path leading up to... I mean, all of these characters, it felt like they were building up to to do something at the end of this season. That's yeah. the point of them still being alive. And so, yeah, she had that where she killed, like, uh, is it Walder Frey at the Twins mm-hmm. and that. And it was all building up. She was getting revenge, crossing some people off her list. And then just, like, I... I just guess that the Night King was their plan all along, even though it seems terrible, because otherwise there's literally no reason for her to be alive. Yeah, well, the other rumour is that George R. R. Martin isn't even talking terms with the, the showrunners D&D currently, so that also shows you what level of the writing they've got to, if he won't talk to them. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't be surprised, because 
Man, people were talking about the main characters being butchered, and that writing was definitely something that got butchered by the writers. It was. It was like again, as you mentioned, like Arya was set up as killer the whole time, and she didn't have to kill Cersei, but she had to have some form of attempt at it. That was her whole arc, and she didn't do that. Jon Snow whole arc was about the Night King, and then we spent R plus L equals J, which is about obviously Jon's parentage, was like a thing. It's obviously buried deep into the books to be very important to the story, and all it ended up turning out being is that Danny wouldn't bang him. <laughs> like he wouldn't bang Danny, sorry, that's it. That's all it came out to be. It turned Danny a bit mad. Like it has nothing really to do with the outcome of the thing. He's a, doesn't matter that he's rightful heir, he's gone. Doesn't matter that Gendry's also an heir to the throne. He's gone. Just brands it now. Yeah, and like when they're all sitting around at the end and Gendry's there as like one of the lords of the seven kingdoms or whatever, and it's like, Well, the only person that legitimized him got murdered, so why is he even there? <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just bizarre. And then, yeah, once Grey Worm then, leaves, they still send Jon Snow to the to the wall. I know, they're just like, they should have just sent Grey Worm off and be like, hey, Jon, you can come out now, like, he's gone. Yeah, and like, like okay, <laughs> so he, what happened with him, right? Him going, I think I pretty, I don't know if he did it on here, but I told my mates, I was like, he's definitely going north of the wall now after he kills Danny. He's definitely going north of the wall, destroying the throne. He didn't destroy the throne, but he's definitely going north of the wall and hanging out with his wildlings. They got that part right, but the whole thing of, like, sending him to take the black, it's like, what's Castle Black exist for? The wall got melted down. There's no danger they're keeping out. What's the point of Castle Black? Yeah, and, like, nobody else is in the black at the moment. Like, no one else... There's not... He's the only person at the wall. Yeah. And also, like, the bit I I guess is just, like, with story, they had people there, but he shows up at that castle and, like, all the wildlings are there, like... They've come back. (laughs) They already left it, Like, they all went to go north of the wall... And yet then, like, three months later, between, like, marching to King's Landing, the battle, the weeks that all happened there, and then walking back north, like, however long all that takes, they're just sitting there, like, what are they waiting at that, that castle for? Because as far as they know, John's not coming. Like, no one's coming. And they're yeah. just all sitting at that castle for, like, three months, and then John shows up. And it's like, oh, okay, now we'll go north. Yeah, bizarre, hey. And then, like, the other thing is, well, Sansa's saying the Starks won't bend the knee to anybody, and it's like, well, it's just another Stark. Who's the king? And then Yara's over there who was independent. She's just taking it. Well, they're bending the knee too. Okay? Makes yeah. no sense. No, so much of it doesn't make sense from all the way things are developed. So people who cop outs, those same people are the same people who didn't know who half the characters were for half the seasons, who were just happy with it. They're too stupid to know what the rest is happening. I mean, the thing that they really could have done, and especially if they wanted to break the wheel, is just not have a seven kingdoms anymore. Just split up and be all independent kingdoms like it was originally. Well, that's what I thought was going to happen. I got that wrong. Yeah, I, so I thought there was going to be like a council or something and they split up and Seven Kingdoms would be a thing. Nope. Six Kingdoms. Yeah, especially when Sansa's like, oh, we're just going to be like the North. Mm. And then it would be pretty easy to be like, okay, we don't need a king. We'll just all be our own kingdoms and we'll like, we'll be friendly and we'll get together every now and then. But we, you don't need a unified kingdom. Yeah, exactly. But it's just, yeah, so unsatisfying how, like, Danny was always going to die, but it's just unsatisfying how quick and she was a bad person for like half an episode and she died and that's it but I mean you knew it was happening as soon as she didn't sit on the Iron Throne like I mean we knew it was happening before then but then when she didn't sit on it you're like man it's happening right now yeah 100% and then um, what other and she gave like that speech she gave was just like set up to look like Nazi Germany like how grey it was and the people all standing there in those orders and like yeah uh, oh, the other thing i annoyed about is... So, I can't remember if we talked about this. I don't think we did. But 
she had that dragon that got shot down, right? Yeah. Did we talk about this? No, we didn't. This this is a good one to go back to. We didn't talk about this. Yeah, so she has a dragon that gets shot down, and Greyjoy has a... Oh, actually, I've got to talk about Greyjoy because he it annoys me. But mm-hmm. So he's got 11 ships there, and they kill a dragon with three of the luckiest shots that have ever been shot in history. George Martin himself has said it's literally impossible to kill a dragon in the air because it's like... essentially. Yeah. So, but yeah, this has happened. Three three arrows, yep, it's down. Good on you. And then Danny flies her Drogon towards the ships, dodges all the arrows coming out of it, and then decides to fly away for some reason because she can't, like, fly around behind a fleet and burn them down. Yeah. And, but then the next episode, she literally, you see that high shot, there is like a hundred ships in the water there. Mm-hmm. She burns all of them down, and then she burns all the ballistas off the walls doesn't get hit once like to me it makes so much more sense if they literally say they take like we know that this fleet's there in the episode they're like we know this fleet's here we're going to use our dragons to scout so it's like okay do that the dragons scout they see the fleet they're like okay cool let's tuck back here let's like not get ambushed great and then if you have next episode she has two dragons flying around burning the fleet down it's more Mm. believable and then uh, it's not Viseron, Rhaegar. Is it Rhaegar? Rhaegar. Yeah. Yes. So, like, as they're flying between the ships, that one gets shot down. Like, it's a lot closer. You, it's a lot more believable. And then it's also more understandable if she goes mad because one of her dragons just got murdered. Like, and it's not so much, like, plot armor BS because she can burn down 500 things and not get hit once. Yeah, I think the lazy thing there is like they just had to kill a dragon they found a way to do it that was it oh kill him with the ships after saying they they forgot about the Iron Fleet somehow you can do you can kill it with the ships in the next episode so by the time she gets to burning down the whole city it is just her with her one dragon still yeah like it makes it feel like you've actually lost something in that battle as well but not just like everyone's still alive yeah like, that's it, and it's like, that's the thing, though, they spent, like, we spent, like, seven or eight years, I think we spoke about this with Dragonfire as well, like, they've built up the power of these things forever, built up the power of these dragons, we get told they're pretty much invulnerable, all that kind of thing, and we know that, uh, the, 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 uh, Mad King took over the Seven Kingdoms with three dragons, so we get that build up, and they kill one so easily, so easily, and then the next episode, they're literally invulnerable again. Yeah, it's... it's like, okay. Okay. And it's like... I mean, also, when they're having the peace talks with Cersei or whatever and trying to, like, sort out oh something. God. So there's Daenerys, Grey Worm, Tyrion, and, like, 30 soldiers out the front, right? And there's, like, 30 ballista on that wall. We just saw the ballista literally melt a whole armada. Like, everyone, most of the people died from that. Mm. All the ships sunk. If you're Cersei, why are you not just, like, killing the 30 people in front of you? That's the end of the war. You win. Yeah, that's it. Like, and like that that might be the dumbest move in Game of Thrones over eight seasons. That might be the dumbest move. Yeah, it's just terrible. Just all of it. So we could go on for hours and hours about this, hey, how many mistakes are made. And that's the thing, and this previously in the past you pick like two or three things out of out of um the show each season. Oh, I didn't like this, didn't like that, whatever. But this is like you could probably pick out thirty things from each episode. Well, the thing that is also funny is people have like spliced this together where you get I think the video is called The Writers Forgot About Good Writing or something like that. Yeah. I think you shared this with me. And they're yeah, like... Uh, and there'll be like the writers and they say, oh, every single Dothraki got wiped out. And then it hard cuts to like them battle planning and they're like, half our Dothraki are left over. Yeah. 
And then, oh, what was the... They're like, oh, Danny definitely forgot about the Iron Fleet. And then hard cuts to battle planning. It's like, oh, we think the Iron Fleet is right here. And it's like, I don't know how you stuff up stuff that easy. Yeah. And just how bad the writing got too. Did, did, did John so say anything this entire season that wasn't, you are my queen, and I don't <laughs> want it. And I don't want the crown of king. That's at least like for the whole eight episodes, six episodes, right. sorry. It was like how in How I Met Your Mother, you know the two kids that sat on the couch that like the dad was telling the story to? Yeah. Yeah, so like, because they only got paid for the first season. They um, they filmed everything they needed in the first season, and it's like they just did that with John. They're like, they're, you're only going to need to say, you are my queen. So just say that 24 times, and we'll just like superimpose you wherever we need you. Like, yeah. he just did nothing. Yeah, there's but, so many th- threads they didn't close off. And all these brilliant threads they opened, they didn't close, like, any of them. They just did random shit, and the show ended. <laughs> but, uh, like, Euron Greyjoy, it annoys me this, because he's one of my favourite book characters. Like, mm-hmm. he is so awesome in the book. He's got, like, the dragon horn that, like, kills people if they blow it, and it supposedly controls dragons and all this. He sucks in the book. Sorry, and yet, show. all he is in the show is, like... Tele- he's got teleporting armies that can he can just be wherever the show writers need him to be so they can kill whatever they need to kill like oh we just we need one less dragon like we should have given her two eggs all those years ago but we gave her three so we need one less now mm. so his army's just teleporting around the place he's got more plot armor than like a main character in a video game like he's unkillable and like even Jamie's down in that beach right and Euron just happens to like have enough plot armor to survive the dragon attacks. He's the only one yeah. that survived that of the whole whole fleet. Mm-hmm. He just happens to show up on that one beach that Jamie's at at the exact time Jamie is there. Like, mm-hmm. how much like writing BS is that? Oh, exactly. It's terrible. Even small things like you mentioned uh, when Daenerys had that Nazi like scene. They even put in like someone made a huge like forty foot banner. It's <laughs> hung it down. Yeah. Of her. Of, like, and it was like. Oh, I mean, it's not a swastika with four arms, but, like, yeah. the Targaryen sign is not a million miles away from it either. Yeah, just terrible, eh? Like, oh, there's just so many issues. Like, um... Oh, God, I forgot what I was going to say then. Uh... Oh, yeah, just Jamie, Jamie Lannister in general. Like, how, again, his whole character arc went this whole way. And then he got told he didn't care about innocent people at the end, they said. But it's like, mate, he killed the Mad King because he cared about innocence. Even when he was the biggest dick... Of all time. He still cared about innocent he, people. He did. That's it. He always did. Like, whatever. Even, like, even Cersei, before she died, cared about them. Even Cersei rang the bells. Yeah, yeah. I just... Yeah. It's just terrible. Uh, how much long have we... How long have we I've been here for a while. Probably five or four, five or six more minutes. We'll <laughs> let people go. <laughs> I mean, but, people uh, can go whenever they want. They can. Very true. We can rant. But, yeah. How key Grey, uh, Grey Worm became ruined it for me that was just terrible oh man I forgot to mention this showing the book in the show oh we wrote the uh, book of Ice Song of Ice and Fire and, and then Tyrion has been handed a king like three times isn't in the book so funny ha 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 Tyrion like he's not in the book he's been handed the king to three or four different kings including mm-hmm. Bran mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you know if you don't count that one whatever he married Sansa he killed Tywin Lannister with a crossbow as he sat on a toilet. Mm-hmm. He killed Joffrey, also, like, one of the kings he... Well, he was accused of killing Joffrey. Mm-hmm. A king he was hand to. Like, everything else he's done, 
if he's not in the book, there's some absolutely terrible historians in Westeros because he's one of the most important people of that time. Yeah, the public narrative was he killed Joffrey and he doesn't make the book? Okay. Like, literally any... If one person was Hand of the King to, like, to one person, they would be in the book. And yeah. he was Hand of the King to literally every person in succession... Yeah, but I mean, if so, the level of having the book itself feature in the show is like we're like fifteen seconds away from Tyrion waking up and it was all a dream. <laughs> That's how close we were. That's how level oh. bad that writing is. It was almost like Sam Tarly like wink at the screen, like oh, Song of Ice and Fire, like, yeah. <laughs> like it was very much. I mean, Lord of the Rings did it way better, where Bilbo like wrote the books, like yeah. at least that was like they got the books in the universe, but it was done much better than how this got handled. Exactly right. And then t- I've got two more things before I-, I think I've done whinging. The stupid bloody horse that Ari White rides off on a white horse. And like an episode later, she's just like gone nowhere. She's just back. Horse is gone. Yeah. And then, and then she's like, the first time she sees Cersei after that, she's like, I know evil when I see it. It's like, ah, uh, kind of. I think everyone kind of knows that now, Ari. I think everyone saw her burn the whole city. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. Oh, well, and John even arguing for Cersei then, t- for um, Danny then too. Ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, John, classic Stark. Like he's dumb as thick as two bricks. Like, mm-hmm. um, oh, that, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Does nobody in Westeros understand like how walls and fortifications work? Because they keep putting their armies on the outside of all these walls. Like, yeah, it's brilliant. King's Landing. They're like, okay, we've got this huge wall around this massive city. We'll put our army on the outside of it. That'll work. <laughs> like. And you've got one small door. Like, you can't retreat through that. You're getting yeah. murdered if you try to retreat through there. There's, Brilliant. I, I, I could play Total War, like, for 25 minutes and have much better tactics than anything <laughs> that's happened in this show. And, like, these are supposed to be people that are, like, master tacticians. Exactly. I think I heard someone say that one of the guys who's, like, the guy who sets up the battle scenes was saying that, like, they were unfilmable how they were written originally. They just weren't... But, like, there was nothing about them that were close to battle tactics. This is how they turned out. It's still terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, also, Brienne's finish is, like, the whole thing is, like, that whole thing that her having sex with Jamie was just bullshit fan service. They've been doing that forever, too, by the way. It's like Bronze still exists because people like him. It's, like, bullshit fan service. She had sex with Jamie, then they just flipped on it straight away. It doesn't matter anymore, apparently. Yeah, I mean, and, like, she's now, like, what, the King's Guard because, like, Jamie got too drunk one night before the massive battle when they were all supposed to die. Like, of course he got drunk and, like, made her a knight and so now she's the king's guard. Yeah. Like, okay. Good on her, I guess. But there's, um... Well, I guess if we're about finished here, there's one... Actually, a lot of the things I hate, mm. I've found. There's a really good reviewer. He's only done, like, the last four episodes, but I think he's just, like... Kind of like me, where he's watched them and he's decided to just review these, like, episodes he hates because he's some Scottish guy, good so he's, man. like entertaining to listen to and it's just like 15 minutes or so but he nails like every bad point in all the episodes of the last four or so so if anybody's interested i mean if you like the episode you'll end up hating it after listening to him because he like nails his points but it's called the critical drinker on youtube okay i want to do it too two final things Um, for me oh are you still going sorry no no that was it uh first one varus is writing a letter to end the episode before he died writing about who the true head of the the throne was that went nowhere so thanks for showing us writing that letter that went nowhere and then lastly Bran is actually evil right well yeah was this in the Aaron Rodgers interview where he talked about this 
I don't know. I've just heard people talk. Was about in, it. I, I'm not sure if it was in Aaron Rodgers or if it was. It might have been in the the critical drinker video I watched this afternoon. But like, so Brand can see like all through space and time, and so like, if he didn't want to be the king, he wouldn't go to King's Landing. Like, mm-hmm. why do you think I'm he's, here? He says. Yeah, but so, but like he knows if he tells John who he is. John will tell his family mm-hmm. who will tell Tyrion and Varys who will try to kill Danny. Like, all of these are logical steps from one to the other. She's going to go mad. Like, he knows the steps that will make him king. Like, if like as far as the three-eyed raven, he's like this all-powerful, all-seeing thing. Like, he mm. knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be king. He's the real villain in all of this. Yeah, exactly. Like, he did all those things to get to where he got, being the king. And then still somehow, for some reason, he needs, like, a, a head of whispers, whatever it's called, even though he can say everything. He, he literally, might, yeah. He let people burn because he's going to become king, too. Like, he let all that stuff happen just to be king. He's evil. Like, lit- as soon as anything happens, he can see what it is. Like, he can see all through all of history. So, mm. you don't need a head of secrets. But yeah, in the end, I'm glad I'm invested in a show that parentage from Jon Snow didn't matter, that that his walking didn't matter, Varys' writing there didn't matter, none of the shit mattered. <laughs> Nothing mattered oh, in the well, end. This was another point, I think this was from also from like the Critical Drinker show, and he was like, Varys is the kind of character, right, that he's got like his scheme going inside like a larger plan, inside a bigger strategy, like he's got 13 different backdoor exits out of any situation, like you know, literally one of the smartest people on the on Westeros, mm-hmm. and yet he just gets to a point where he's like, "Okay, I'm going to poison the queen, even though his guards, her guards are watching. We're going to we'll do that because that's smart, and I'm just going to write all these letters." And yeah, there's he has no way to escape. Real virus wouldn't be doing that. Virus would so, have a way to get out of there, and yet he's just like, oh, "Okay, well, I guess I got caught. Yeah, good game, everyone. You know, well done. We all tried yeah. hard." Never mind that he's supposed to have a, a memorable death anyway, from all the times we got told of him seeing it in the flames and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I think that might... Is that it? Are we done? Yeah, yeah I think I'm done. Okay, I'm done But too. I think I'm going to... I think I'm probably going to rewatch them all again, so... Yeah, I think uh, we might come back next week or when, when I'm, we're back together and rip in <laughs> again. Not. Maybe, maybe that can replace Game of Thrones Weekly as we'll just go like... <laughs> bit by bit through the seasons again yeah it sounds good I'm sure people go. well yeah sweet cool well, well, hopefully that makes up for not doing a podcast a couple of weeks they've got an hour and 40 odd minutes so deal with it people yep have a good one eh? okay. see you later